for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. We're finally in the final part, the sixth part of this series. I think this series has been as good for our church as it has been uh, for other people outside of the church, which to be honest with you, it was indirectly Uh, targeted to you guys, but directly targeted to people outside of the church to rethink this idea of church and what it it means as as an ancient social institution, as something built upon belief in God. What does it mean? What is it? What is it supposed to look like? That's what we've been talking about. I do want to encourage you, if it's your first time here today and you don't regularly listen online, or if you've just missed a message or two in this series, to make sure that you go back to the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast if you're interested in doing so, and go back and listen to each message as they definitely, without a doubt, connect. Or if we get a little bit down the road and it feels like we are uh, missing our direction or we're falling back into some of the same habits that we've been in before, not specifically as Believer's Church, but as a church that is not doing it the right way, that we go back because we can constantly use a refresher with the things that we have been talking about. As, as my family moved back to East Tennessee and we started to settle in, I considered what things would look like at Believer's Church, knowing that I was stepping into a situation that brought about a great amount of anxiety, probably just as much for you guys because I didn't know you and you didn't, you didn't know me. But I started to recognize and, and have a realization about a few things about myself. And, and primarily it's this. As a pastor, God has really only made me one way, one vision, one way that I operate. Maybe that makes me too one-dimensional. If that's a problem, maybe at some point I'll, I'll deal with it. But the vision and the direction what I am is the same thing, regardless of what state or what area that I'm in. And the context may be different, meaning that I'm in Tennessee and I'm not in Kentucky. And obviously the people are different because now I have the opportunity to be with you guys. Uh, the geography and everywhere that I, that I am, the things that I see every single day, that is different. But the way that I lead and what I consider to be important as far as the development ecclesiology, the development and organization of the church, as well as the way that the gospel uh, should be presented, has really not changed. And uh, that will uh, fit into this final discussion today as we discuss what it means to be missional. If we had to call this message something, and we kind of had a title like this every single, every single time that we've been together, but I would say it's not a building. Instead, it's a place of movement, all right? And it really ties together everything that we've talked about. So we've opened this series with this theme that we've shared with you guys a lot. We're going to say it one last time. But I hope that it rings really true in your minds and in your hearts and that you can saturate it into your very being with what you are. And it's this. Church is not a building. It's not an event or a weekend experience. 
Church is a body of people working together to bring the kingdom of God. This special, significant, unique ideology that transforms culture and transforms human life to earth, to bring it here. Over the last few weeks, we've discussed how the church mobilizes itself for mission with a lot of topics. We've talked about inclusion. We've talked about unity. We've talked about worship, discipleship, calling, and many other functions of the church. All right, so today we're going to bring this whole thing home. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. That's the last part of Acts. We've been in Acts the last six weeks. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 toward the end, verses 42 through 52. A little bit of background. After the original church is established, what we see toward the end of the Gospels as well as the beginning of of Acts during Pentecost, after the original church is established, it starts to scatter over a 14-year period. All right, this is what we see in Acts chapter 8 through 12. We spent a little bit of time in some of those chapters. Now, this scatter is good because scatter means the spread of influence. Scatter means sacrificial love pouring into more and more people. Scatter means more and more people are hearing the the message of Christ, and as we've said every week, many more are being added to the numbers. Acts 13, we see a little bit of a transition. The church truly extends into what we could call Paul's three missionary journeys. All right, and this changes everything. This changes the way the world looks, what the world looks like during this time. So as we begin today, Paul and Barnabas have been teaching in Galatia. All right, we see this if if you know a little bit about the Bible, if you are a student of the Bible, that eventually there will be a letter to the Galatian people. All right, their message, as it is in many places, is gaining many converts. All right, there's a lot of life change. How many times have we started one of these messages and looked at the scripture and it said, in that day, many were added to their number? All right, it's their numbers. It's been a lot of times whenever we've actually talked about that. All right, but there's also disdain by the Jewish population, many of the Jews in Galatia, and they are forced to leave the city. All right, so what I want us to notice today is how they leave the city and then the attitude that's actually going to follow with their departure. All right, that's what we're going to pay attention to today. So they're doing amazing things in this city, all right, two leaders, many life, a lot of life change. Then all of a sudden, because of all the transformation, the powerful or the elite become uncomfortable, and they are forced to leave the district. All right, Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 42 through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 52. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people urged them to speak about these things again on the next Sabbath. It was that good. When the people in the synagogue were dismissed, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism accompanied Paul and Barnabas, who urged them to remain faithful to the message of God's grace. 
on the next Sabbath, almost everyone in the city gathered to hear the Lord's word. Can you imagine what Johnson City would look like, 63,000 people, or even what Boone's Creek would look like if the message was so powerfully presented and there was so much life change that almost everyone in the city tried to gather in this space? When the Jews saw the crowd, they were overcome with jealousy. They argued against Paul what Paul was saying by slandering him, speaking courageously, which would not be easy to do. Paul and Barnabas said, We had to speak God's word to you first. Since you reject it and show that you are unworthy to receive eternal life, we then are going to turn to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord has commanded us. So what he does is he goes to the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah 49.6, and he gives some scripture because they know the Torah. All right, they're the Jews. I have made you a light for the Gentiles so that you can bring salvation to the end of the earth. Direct quote. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the Lord's word. Everyone was appointed who was appointed for eternal life believed. And the Lord's word was broadcast throughout the entire region. So again, it just continues to spread. However, the Jews provoked prominent women among the Gentiles, uh, Gentile God worshipers, as well as the city leaders. They instigated others to harass Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of the district. Okay, so as you're starting to develop relationships, as you're getting close to people, as you're starting to see the movement and power of the Holy Spirit, you would think that you would be depressed. You would think that you would be discouraged if all of a sudden, I mean, just imagine if, if some of us all of a sudden were kicked out of this church because of the way that we were teaching. They instigated others to harass Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of the district. And Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet and went to Iconium. Because of the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the glory of God, how beautiful this was, how incredible this was, how full they were of this, opposed to the normal human emotions that would discourage us, that would bring about great levels of insecurity, the disciples left and they were overflowing with happiness just for the opportunity to go to this next location. All right, so this is what we need to understand that is critical as Paul views the church. Paul didn't understand the church or this area of Galatia, Galatia as the church or church as a building. He understood church as movement. There was not a common understanding beyond the temple at this time of one sacred place. Yet we make the mistake whenever we come here and other people make the mistake whenever they gather on Sunday mornings that that building is the one sacred space. But instead, what's going on is he is saying, as they're constantly traveling, and as Paul is constantly traveling all throughout his ministry, that the church is actually a body of people. The church is, in fact, movement. Now, when we remove the idea of church as a building, because this is huge, and we're not there yet, all right, and it takes time to build this culture. 
But whenever we remove the idea of church as a building, it reframes the way we live out a budget and it reframes the way that we live out a belief system. All of a sudden, Sunday is part of the experience and not the main event. All, right? All of a sudden, we're not gathering around just to hear the, the wonderful worship music or just to see people on Sunday. That's part of it. That is certainly a time for recharging. That is certainly a time for unity and the body coming together. But when we understand the church as movement, we are looking at something that is going on seven days a week. So please understand that the gospel isn't bound by location. The gospel is not bound by location. Verses 50 and 51. The Jews provoked the prominent women among the Gentile God worshipers as well as the city's leaders, the government. They instigated others to harass Paul and Barnabas. And I can promise you this was not fun. To the point that they are thrown out of the district. Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet and they went on to Iconium. What's next? Holy Spirit, lead us. We have seen life change. We know that that life change is sustainable. Where are you going to send us next? To shake off the dust in the ancient world is an indication that someone is finished with a situation. We've done our work. God, if you wanted us to continue to be here, you would tell us that we needed to continue to be here. We are literally physically being removed from this place. Where are we supposed to go next? So we see that they travel to Iconium. All right, this is an ancient Roman military city. And you know what happens? If we were to read further, they see a lot of life change there. They start to see the movement of the gospel happening there as well. But I want us to look at Iconium, and I want us to think about Iconium a little bit differently, all right? Let's not make it a city, all right? So work with me here for just a second. Let's not make it a city. Uh, let's make it an idea, all right? Let's make it a mindset. Let's look at this place called Iconium a little bit different. Iconium can mean this for us today. We need to carry out God's work. And that work is not always going to occur at 6110 Kingsport Highway. There is work for us to do. There are places for us to invade. There are neighborhoods in which the gospel must flourish. There are people in need. There is repentance that must take place place. And often, and even sometimes more often, this is not going to take place at our physical location that we actually pay for. Are we paying attention to this kind of thinking? So here are some basic 21st century questions that Believer's Church, us, let, let's, let's not think about anybody else right now, but some questions in the 21st century that Believer's Church right now must ask. One question. How can we make a difference in our region during the greatest pandemic of our lifetime? Did we get the sound right? You know what I tell the, the tech team very often? I keep hearing white noise in the, in the live stream. 
Is that really that important? What's going on in the neighborhoods? That still is important, guys, by the way. What is going on around us? Who is struggling? Who is broken? Who is isolated and lonely? Who needs the gospel? To the best of my knowledge, the majority of people that are in this room right now, because I know so many of you, have accepted Christ. Who needs the gospel? Are we paying attention to that? You know, something I was thinking about a couple days ago. I don't want to look back at this period of COVID-19, 20 years down the road, and just be able to tell other people what I watched on Netflix. I don't want to look back at this period and simply tell people, yeah, I remember what it was like to wear a mask everywhere. Yeah, I remember what it was like to socially distance. No, I want to be able to tell the people that this was the time that revival broke out. This is the time that a broken culture for the first time in probably centuries saw the power of God and saw the kingdom of God. Because we are still the last place that most people are looking for help. How can we make a difference? Well, the gospel must scatter. So what happened in Paul's time, the gospel must scatter. We must be mobilized for mission. What about rising addiction rates during COVID-19? Speaking to some people when I was in Kentucky the other day, two overdose deaths that I know about. What about the growth in domestic violence, a reality that is going on right now in homes? What about the homeless? What about those who are currently unemployed? What about all these eviction notices that we, we, we see if we just turn on the news for just a few minutes? What about mental health? What about all of these things that are going on around us right now? The gospel is movement. So a woman named Elisa Gound uh, that I know very well, very introverted person, very quiet, as quiet as anyone that I know at this church and, and withdrawn to herself. Uh, she told me several years ago that she felt the need, she felt a calling on her life uh, to start a food ministry for elementary kids on weekends, all right? And this was a huge issue in eastern Kentucky where the majority of kids in some of these schools had free or reduced lunch. And she said that she could no longer say no to this calling and started to contact resource centers at the schools. Uh, Soul Food started, I contacted her when I was putting this message together. Soul Food, which is what the ministry was call, is called, started with one school it now has 13 schools in uh, two counties, and they feed 304 kids every single weekend. Many churches now are participating in this ministry. The pieces started to fall into place for this organization when one individual had the courage to say 
Yes. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. And here is the best part. It didn't start with me. It didn't start with a pastor or a church leader having to push this person into a direction. It had to do with the obedience of an average, everyday believer being willing to say yes to a calling that she had on her life. This is what it looks like to mobilize mission. And I know that I'm speaking to someone today whenever I say this. Stop doubting. Stop making excuses. Stop looking at the obstacles in your life and be about the Father's business. Be about what God has called you to do. If God has called you to do something in your life and you know that the only thing you have to do is say yes, mission will be mobilized and the work of God will take place. So notice that movement is not a deterrent for the apostles. It's not a deterrent. It's not something negative that they look at. Verse 52, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to get your feelings hurt by other people. It's easy to constantly try to go back to this model from the past that church is supposed to be done this way. But look at what's going on with Paul and Barnabas. Because of the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit, God doing something real in their lives. Not them simply saying, you know what? I want to step out and do something good. You know what? There are struggling people right now. Maybe we need to get a government initiative together or start a nonprofit and really help people so that we can feel good about ourselves. No, this is spirit driven. It is spirit driven. And when you say yes to the spirit, the cap comes off, everything explodes, and the work of God happens among people. You see, every single week we have churches, every single week going on in our country and other countries, they, they get together for just a social club meeting without the activity of the Holy Spirit working among them. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling us to do? How is it that we are being mobilized for mission? You know, this has been the topic of conversation for the biblical leadership team over the last several meetings that we have had, not simply how do we make our services more effective on Sunday morning so that people will come and join us. No. How do we mobilize mission? How do we find out where the needs are and see that as the church that these needs are met? You see, they're not discouraged. They're absolutely thrilled that they have the opportunity. They think if they're kicking us out, we're doing something right. And that is exactly what was going on. People always, they always buy pastor's books. Let me just tell you that. I've always got a stack of books, and then I feel obligated to read those books, even if I don't want to. And they'll ask me, have you read that book? And I can't lie, all right? So I'm always reading a lot of books, but, but um, I've got a lot of books from my dad uh, my dad has given me, he's had boxes of books, and he said, you know, go through them and see what you want. And I've been able to go through some books and, and see what I wanted. But a couple years ago, 
I was, I was in my office in Kentucky, and I was reading a book, and I don't remember actually what book it was, but what am I, I like used books, as long as they're still held together, because I love to read people's notes in the margin, like, like all that kind of stuff, and I love to see notes that I'll occasionally find, but I found a note, it's still hanging in my office in Kentucky, it was in Dad's handwriting, and he probably doesn't remember this, but it said, God doesn't enjoy going where he is tolerated, he enjoys going where he is celebrated. All right, so I want you to think about that for just a second. God doesn't enjoy going where he is tolerated. All right, God, we'll have church. We'll get together. He will go where he is celebrated. Philip Yancey, a great Christian author, he said this, and this is so true. As I, as I travel, I have obser observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically. Movement. All right, movement. As I travel, I have observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically from the Middle East, which is, which is where Christianity starts, to Europe, which is where it's going to go post-Roman Empire, to North America, it was here, and now to developing countries, which is where we see the greatest form of Christian growth. Listen at this. My theory is this. God goes where he's wanted. God goes where he's wanted. If we're going to be really, really honest, do we want God? Or do we want a religious experience? Do we want the comfort of an afterlife? Do we really want God? You see, this is the issue that Paul and Barnabas ran into in Galatia. Great things are happening, but ultimately the people in power are not only pushing Paul and Barnabas out, they are pushing God out. And here is my takeaway as we talk about mobilizing mission and movement. Go where people have the most desperate needs, and God will always show up. God will always show up, and this will always follow an overflow of happiness. An overflow of happiness. Holy Spirit mobilization. Holy Spirit work. That if we sit down together and try to develop a five-year plan, as many consultants try to get you to do, and sometimes that's very, very useful, but sometimes we can plan the Holy Spirit right out of the equation. Are we sensitive to the needs around us? Are we sensitive to the great cry of repentance that so many people need in our area? Do we recognize and do we realize that we actually, as a church, possess the answer? We can know this if we are willing to rethink church. I recognize something that maybe some of you recognize as well as I, as I look around me. There are people in this country, and especially in the developing world where there's real need, that st still do desperately want God. There are people given the opportunity to come to church, given the opportunity to have a conversation about something greater than them. They still want God. And on the other side of that, 
There are people who meet in buildings Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that, like the Jews in Galatia, pushed God out a long time ago. And that's why their churches look the way that they do. So how do we create a gospel movement of mobility? How do we do that as a church? What does that look like when mission is fully mobilized? All right, the first thing that I want you to recognize this, and it's that ministry must be incarnational. All right, ministry must be incarnational. And I'm going to explain to you what that means. All right? We can't follow the way that every other church in some cookie-cutter fashion has done things in the past. A lot of times we are looking to North Point or Elevation or Willow Creek or New Springs or whatever church that you want to think about. How do they do it? And I am not saying anything negative about those churches or any other churches, but that's not Believer's Church. They're not located in Boone's Creek in Johnson City, Tennessee. Their context is not our context. The problems they have and that they see are not the problems that we have and we see. The opportunities that are right in front of us are not necessarily the opportunities that are, not, that are right in front of them. It means context. It means understanding who our neighbors are. It means paying attention to everything around us. It means instead of constantly looking within the church building, we are looking outside at where we can mobilize mission and where we can transform. You see, that's where the transformation is going to happen for people. That is where the life change is going to happen. Because any time that you go to where there is a need, any time that you go to a place in which the Holy Spirit has an open invitation you are going to see a gospel movement. One of my favorite pastors, John Tyson, I was listening to a podcast. It was an interview that he did uh, this week. And you know what he said? He said, one of my great fears right now during COVID-19 is that God or Jesus is knocking on the door and the American church isn't listening. And I fear that that's exactly where we are. And you want to know what I think we, we are desiring so much inside? We want to get back to, go ahead and say it, normal. Everybody wants to get back to normal. I pray to God that the church never gets back to normal. We are here. We are in this sacred space. We are in this moment in time. We are in this wilderness we are in this desert. We are in this place of nobody knows what's going to happen. And you know, a lot of us control freaks that happen to be pastors, you know what bothers us? We can no longer predict attendance. We can no longer, we can't predict when this thing is going to end. We can't predict when we can start this next ministry that we want to roll out with all these fancy ideas. But maybe we're actually in a place where we can hear the voice of God. And that's where we need to be. Ministry must be incarnational. We must pay attention to what's going on outside of these walls 
at all times. Uh, we are only sensitive to the needs around us when we are sensitive to the, Holy, to the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 52, because of the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit. How long has it been since you felt the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit? I'm serious. Like, how long, if ever, have you felt that unsettledness within you because something is going on in the room that no one can explain and it makes you excited but freaks you out at the same time? Man, how long has it been since we've really felt that? Because of the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were overflowing with happiness when it should have been one of the most discouraging moments they've ever experienced. Now, this next one doesn't apply to everyone, and I'm actually following up or piggybacking on what we talked about as we closed last week. Some of you need to step in to an incarnational calling. Some of you are on the cusp. And you know what? This doesn't even necessarily always fit into the, uh, the vision of Believer's Church, just like with Elisa Gown. We, we, we participated financially and sometimes provided volunteers for her ministry the um, lunch uh, or the uh, soul food, the other one's the lunchroom project that I mentioned last week. These were ministries that we contributed to. And sometimes God is just calling you in your life. You see things because of your job, because of your situation with your kids, because you're a school teacher, because you work for a certain kind of organization, because you're in people's homes all the time. You see needs that I will never see or understand. What is it going to take for you to mobilize mission? Society is discouraged. Society has written us off. Society sees the decline of the church and any kind of morality that came with the church because now they believe, people believe we can do all of the moral things that the church is good for without all the junk and without this idea of God. That's where we are. How do we mobilize mission through the power of the Holy Spirit? It involves something huge on our part, not only stepping out in obedience, but a real desire to rethink the way that we do church. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, I'd like to come to you this morning and, and ask you to consider where you are. Where you are as a church, where you are as a family, if you're single, where you are as an individual. And my greatest hope and desire is that if there's someone in here and, and, and God is calling you toward a particular work or maybe you just, you know that something is going on within you about a particular people group, single parents, struggling addicts, kids in the foster care system, whoever it may be, whatever it may be, look, look, may, may look like lives that you can touch that just like we said last week, you are here for something. Your life has genuine and deep purpose. I want to challenge you if there is something on your mind, something on your heart as it pertains to that today. 
that you'll write it on your connect card so that I can be praying for you. If you'd like for me to reach out uh, to you so that we can talk about some of the things that are on your mind, some of the things that are on your heart that we can investigate, that we can pray through, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for a six-week period of time to just look deeply at the original church. Father, to recognize and pay attention to what we're doing right and, man, where we're missing the mark. Humble us. Make us, Father, what we are supposed to be. Forgive us where we failed you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.